upward comparisons can inspire us or demoralize us, whereas downward comparisons can make us feel superior or actually depress us. Brene says that the key to all of this is that frequent social comparisons are not associated with life satisfaction or the positive emotions of love and joy, but are more likely associated with negative emotions of fear, anger, shame, and sadness. In the end, comparing ourselves to others leads us to fear, anger, shame, and sadness. And on her HBO special, Brene says, when we're looking up or we're looking down, we are not looking at people. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Here we are, episode 15. When I first started this podcast, I wondered if the excitement and passion I feel towards our collective healing would stay this strong, and it has. Actually, it's gotten stronger with each episode and with each interview. I believe there are many, many roads to healing. My healing may look very different from your healing. And one of my intentions is to offer interviews of all sorts of different modalities in hopes that you find a path that speaks to you. So stay tuned in the coming weeks for some really incredible interviews we have lined up. One of my greatest teachers of healing is my puppy, Bozzy. Animals have a lot to teach us about releasing stress, fear, trauma from the body. All we have to do is pay attention. The other day, Bozzy's cousins, Snoopy and Luna, stopped by for a visit. Snoop and Luna are their own pack, so whenever Bozzy gets thrown in the mix, the alpha, Snoop, has to remind Bod of the ranking order. So Boz, in his very, very overzealous, excited puppy state, he got a little bit too close to Snoop, and Snoop snarled his teeth, he growled, and he held his ground. And I watched as every hair stood up on my little puppy's back, his telltale sign that he's afraid. He stood there. He didn't move any closer, hairs standing straight up towards the sky, signaling to Snoop that he received the message and he was not going to make any moves. And just as quickly as the entire thing happened, Boz took one step away from Snoop and shook his entire body. He shook like he was soaking wet from swimming in the river, shaking every part of his body, and then it was over. They all went back to playing. No grudges were held. Playtime resumed. Our animals get it. They understand what many humans do not. They get the connection between our physical body and our emotions. When they feel fear, they shake and release it from their bodies. They don't stuff it down and ignore it. The other day, I was telling a dear friend a really fresh, raw, vulnerable, and emotional story. And I told her, I have to tell you this story while we're walking. This isn't something I can do sitting down. I need to feel that movement in my body and let the story move through me. This is one of the ways I take care of my emotional self. 
even in therapy, I find my body sweating every time I go in there and sit on the couch. This just must be one way that my body processes the emotions through sweating and sweating it out. I'll say it again and again and again that this work is important. Feeling is healing. Today, we're going to start the emotions from chapter two of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Chapter two is all about the places we go when we compare. And to kick it off, we're going to dive into comparison. Comparison is not actually an emotion, but it drives all sorts of big feelings that can affect our relationships and our self-worth. Brene Brown in Atlas of the Heart says, That more often than not, social comparison falls outside of our awareness. We don't even know we're doing it. This lack of awareness can lead to us showing up in ways that are hurtful to ourselves and others. She says the goal is to raise our awareness about how and why they happen so we can name them, think about them, and make choices that reflect our values and our heart. The definition from Atlas of the Heart is comparison is the crush of conformity from one side and competition from the other. It's trying to simultaneously fit in and stand out. Comparison says, be like everyone else, but better. It's the ultimate paradox, fit in and stand out. It's not being yourself, respecting others for being authentic. It's fit in, but win. Researchers Jerry Sewell's Renee Martin and Lad Wheeler explain that comparing the self with others either intentionally or unintentionally is a pervasive social phenomenon, and how we perceive our standings or rankings with these comparisons can affect our self-concept, our level of aspiration, and our feelings of well-being. They describe how we use comparison not only to evaluate past and current outcomes, but to predict future prospects. This means significant parts of our lives, including our future, are shaped by comparing ourselves to others. And for me, I just experienced the ultimate comparison experience, which was my 21st high school reunion, 21st year. Yes, 21, that's weird. We were supposed to have it on our 20th, but because of COVID, it was canceled. So a couple weeks ago, My husband and I, we both graduated the same year, went to our 21st high school reunion. And when the invitation started going out for the event, I might have gone out sooner, but because I wasn't on Facebook, I didn't see it. So once I was back on Facebook and Instagram, it was coupled with all of these back to school photos. So it was like when all the kids were going back to school and everybody's holding up these super cute chalkboard signs proclaiming what they want to be when they grow up. I want to be a WNBA player. I want to be a ninja spy. I want to be an engineer. So all these super cute kids holding up these signs were inundating my Facebook and my Instagram. And it was causing me to go into comparison about where am I? I want to have not only have a child, but I want to have a child going to school. The majority of people in my life not only have kids, but they now have kids that are of school age. So I was recognizing with each photo, as much as I loved seeing it and how cute they were, I was feeling my own comparison, my own desire to have something that I don't have. Why not me comparing myself to others? And so that being coupled with 
buying the tickets for the reunion. (laughs) I just kept putting off buying the tickets until the last minute when it was like the last call for getting tickets. Because I was in this place of comparing myself, I was asking, what have I done with my life? I'm going to show up to the reunion and be like, oh, I don't have kids. I can't participate in any of those conversations. I can't get out the pictures of all these cute kids to show everyone. Even my career, my career, I'm now starting a new career in a different direction. What am I doing, right? What am I doing with my life? So I felt myself in that comparison and I did buy the ticket and I did go and ultimately had a great time, which I'll share more about later on. But I recognized that in order to do that, You have to get yourself out of comparison. Comparison will stop us from doing the things we actually want to do because it makes us feel inadequate, that we are unworthy. When we compare ourselves with others, we are ranking around a specific collection of like things. The comparisons that get us really, really fired up are with our neighbors, they're at school, they're at work. We aren't comparing our house to the mansions in a different town. We're comparing our yard to our neighbor's yards. We aren't keeping up with the Kardashians, we're keeping up with the Joneses. This is what I was experiencing about being back with all of these people that I was so alike with in high school 20 years ago, right? When we compare, we want to have the best or be the best of our group. On my phone, I keep a photo saved to my favorites, and I have thousands and thousands being a photographer. I have so many photos on my phone, but I only have, you know, maybe 30, 40 photos that are saved to my favorite folder. So these are like the super special images that I want to be able to come back to anytime. There's this one that I keep there, and it is a photo to remind me to stay in my lane. It's a photo from the 2016 Rio Olympics taken by Pascal Le Segretin for Getty Images, and it's of Michael Phelps swimming the 200-meter butterfly, and his rival, South African swimmer Chad LaClosse, is in the lane next to him watching Phelps pull ahead. So the photo is of Phelps focused on only his lane, capturing the gold medal, just going straight ahead. And Chad, instead of looking forward, is looking at Phelps, watching him pull ahead, instead of him just looking towards the silver medal. I keep this photo as a reminder to stay in my lane, to do my absolute best and not worry about what others are doing around me, comparing myself to them. This is all about me and my journey. I'll put this image in the show notes so you can check it out. On Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast with Scott Sunshine, he wrote the book Stretch, and Scott shared a study comparing medalists at the Olympics looking at how people are happy and what they're feeling after the Olympics. You would think this would be obvious. If you win a gold, you're the happiest. Then the silver medal would be the next happiest. And then the bronze, the third happiness. And then after that, the people who didn't medal might be a little upset because they didn't even get a medal. But actually, what the research shows is that the least satisfied people among gold, silver, bronze, and non-medalists are the silver medalists. This is all because of comparison. The silver medalists are not appreciative and grateful for coming in second place in this world-class competition. 
They're thinking about how they just missed the gold medal and how close they were to that gold medal. And that changes their perspective and they're less happy. And you can look at footage of Olympic medalists and you will see the silver medalist tends to be the least happy of the group. The bronze medalist who objectively performed worse than the silver medalist is much happier than the silver medalist because their perspective is also very different. They're grateful they got a medal. I know this to be true firsthand from many years of being married to a tournament bass fisherman. When it comes to tournament day, I want Ian to either be in first place or at least third place and beyond, not second. When he comes in second place, he's miserable because he recounts everything that happened. He calculates how that one fish or however many ounces would have made the difference. He's much happier when he did his best and he finished more than a couple places out from first. It's wild. I see it every summer. (laughs) The next fact is probably the most important thing I learned about comparison. Many social psychologists consider social comparison something that happens to us. I'll say that again. Comparison is something that happens to us. Frank Fugita writes, from this perspective, when we are presented with another person who is obviously better or worse off, we have no choice but to make a social comparison. It can be hard to hear an extremely intelligent person on the radio or see an extremely handsome one in the grocery store or participate on a panel with an expert without engaging in social comparison, no matter how much we would like not to. Which reminds me of a quote that I love from Recovery, from Alcoholics Anonymous. You are not responsible for your first thought, but you are responsible for your second thought and your first action. Fugitive says that even if we do not choose whether or not to make a comparison, we can choose whether or not to let that comparison affect our mood or our self-perceptions. So the bad news is, is that our hardwiring makes us default to comparison. It happens to us rather than being a choice. We are always going to do it. To be human is to compare. So let yourself off the hook with that one. The good news is we get to choose how it affects us. Brene says that we need to stay aware enough to know when it's happening and what emotions it's driving. We have to practice saying, I'm aware that I'm comparing and I get to choose how I'm going to let this affect what I'm going to do next. I can feel comparison really, really easily whenever I'm trying something new and I'm not so great at it. Take this podcast, for example. The podcasts that I listen to the most are Glennon Doyle's We Can Do Hard Things, Brene Brown's Unlocking Us, and My Guilty Pleasure, which is The Vile Files, especially The Bachelor, Bachelorette Recaps. All of these podcasts have massive amounts of listeners and are led by truly incredible hosts. If I am to compare my very, very humble beginning stages to their well-established shows, I might as well quit right now. There is no comparison. I'm in the learning to walk phase and they are in the running phase. So in order for me to get up every single day and work on this new baby of mine, it's to do my best, not anyone else's best, but mine. Grow more confident in the doing. I will get better by taking action, by practicing, by being willing to fail, by being willing to learn and ask for help, by being willing to just be a beginner and not compare the beginning of my story with their much further down the road story. 
And since I just let out that my guilty pleasure is all things Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, I think I need to mention how much having two Bachelorettes this past season, Gabby and Rachel, caused us all to go into comparison. This was the first time that the series has ever had two leads, and we watched Gabby and Rachel compare themselves to each other, and the guys compare them to one another. I loved both of them as the leads, but absolutely hated that the show did this to them. During the pandemic, I took my first ever pottery class. Although I was an art major in college, I never took pottery. So my dear friend Gretchen and I signed up for a pottery class at the local YMCA. I was the absolute worst in the class. Many of the other students have been doing it for years and years, and Gretchen just oozes creativity. So even though she hadn't had much experience with pottery, she picked it up super quick. My comparison could have stopped me from trying. There were most definitely times when I thought about quitting, and how I overcame it was by reminding myself that I was a beginner. I was trying something new. It was expected that I would not be great at it. I'd never done it before, so I adopted a beginner's mindset. I didn't compare myself to others, but I did ask a lot of questions of the others in the class because they had so much to share, and I slowly got better. The other thing that kept me going was the desire to play without any expectation of creating something. Ian kept asking me, kept bugging me to make him a mug. And I think it took me about two years before I brought him home a mug. If we allow it, comparison can kill our creativity. It's our awareness that prevents us from doing so. So I could have let the comparison kill what I have now come to absolutely love, pottery, But it was my own awareness of what I was feeling and that adopting a beginner mindset that I overcame it. Scott Sunshine, the author of the book Stretch, when he was on Unlocking Us with Brene, talked about the cliche, the grass is always greener on the other side, the ultimate cliche for comparison. He says, we spend a lot of time and money to outdo our neighbors. And he shared this really fun fact that makes me laugh every time I think about it. He shared that due to the physics of how grass grows, that when we peer over our fence at our neighbor's grass, it actually does look greener, even if it's exactly the same grass. The perspective we're looking at it from makes it appear greener. This is important to remember because for the most part, when we are comparing ourselves to our neighbors, we are comparing our behind the scenes to their highlight reel. Most people are not sharing on Instagram their bad days, getting fired, their failures. They're sharing their wins. And one of the best things that happened to me, which I absolutely hated at the time, was being taken off of social media when my Instagram and Facebook accounts were hacked last year and I was offline for months and months. I became more present. I became happier. And a part of that was because I wasn't comparing my bad days or even just my plain old boring days to others' best days ever. One more concept we need to understand about comparison is upward comparison versus downward comparison. So upward comparison is comparing ourselves to someone we perceive to be better than us. Downward comparison would be comparing ourselves to those that are less than. Alicia Norche writes, when we engage in upward social comparison, we compare ourselves to someone who's perceived to be or performing better than we are. 
In contrast, when we engage in downward social comparison, we compare ourselves to someone who is perceived to be or performing worse than we are. The direction of the comparison does not guarantee the direction of the outcome. Both types of social comparison can result in negative and positive effects. So upward comparison would be me comparing my podcast to Glennon Doyle's, comparing to someone I perceive to be better than me. And then downward comparison would be me comparing to somebody who hasn't even started a podcast, if that was the comparison that I'm having. So most of us would assume that upward comparisons would always leave us feeling not enough, and downward comparisons would make us feel better then. But it's not the case. Researcher Frank Fugita writes, social comparisons can make us happy or unhappy. Upward comparisons can inspire us or demoralize us, whereas downward comparisons can make us feel superior or actually depress us. Brene says that the key to all of this is that frequent social comparisons are not associated with life satisfaction or the positive emotions of love and joy, but are more likely associated with negative emotions of fear, anger, shame, and sadness. In the end, comparing ourselves to others leads us to fear, anger, shame, and sadness. And on her HBO special, Brene says, when we're looking up or we're looking down, we are not looking at people and we're not looking at ourselves. Comparison is one of the most dangerous things that we experience in terms of how it threatens our self-worth. And this is the hard part, knowing we can't control it. If there's another person in the room, we are wired to rank and compare. But to be aware of it, name it, and choose what we're going to do with that comparison, that is the power. On Jay Shetty's podcast, his On Purpose podcast, he shared that a 2008 study where two monkeys were placed side by side and asked by the scientist to hand over a pebble. In exchange for the pebble, the scientist gave the first monkey a cucumber, and the monkey was delighted. The monkey was so excited to get the cucumber. That was until the other monkey was handed a grape a much sweeter treat than a cucumber. The first monkey became infuriated and actually threw the cucumber back at the scientist. Just a few seconds before the cucumber monkey was delighted and then everything felt like it wasn't worth it. This is comparison. As Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy and even the monkeys will show us that. On Jay Shetty's podcast, he shared seven ways to stop comparing yourself to others. The first one, which may be the most important one, is to define what success and happiness means to you. Define it across these five sections, physically, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. If you don't define what success means to you, you'll be forced to use the definition of others. Financial success could look like an amount of money. It could mean lots of time off, travel. Our definitions may be different. Base it on your own individual values. We compare ourselves more when we don't know what we stand for. When we know what we stand for, we don't have time to compare ourselves to others. Number two, discover your strengths. 
when you realize what you're good at, then you'll start also noticing what others are good at. When you don't know your strengths, that's when you feel envious of others. I recently had an experience where I got to really feel this comparison firsthand. So this summer, Saraswati, my beloved teacher and mentor and now friend, I interviewed her on the podcast. She was my first or second interview. She asked me to be a guest teacher, to lead a workshop at her retreat. And so I went to the retreat a couple days early and got to experience the retreat for myself, which I absolutely needed. And on night one, I was met with Trish Law, who I also interviewed recently on the podcast. She led a breathwork experience, which I'd never done before, totally changed my life. And now I am going to get trained in this breathwork. That's how impactful it was for me. So night one, I met with Trish and Saraswati and all of her magic. And then night two, Zila, who is my beloved healer, another mentor and teacher, she led a workshop night two. And then night three was going to be me leading, closing it out with the Ho'oponopono healing meditation for forgiveness. And so I set up the room. It's the final night. I set up the room, get it ready for the meditation. I am going to start it at 7.30. At 7.05, I am completely in my head. I am in comparison. I am telling myself I'll never be as funny as Trish. I'll never be as good as Zila. I will never be as good as Saraswati. I was comparing myself to these incredible teachers. So I went back downstairs to my room. I hopped in the shower quickly and the shower can help me kind of clear my head and just ground myself. So I grounded myself and I said a prayer. When I got to my room, I said a prayer and I knew that this group of people that have been at this retreat for four days at this point, that they would see right through me if I was to be inauthentic. If I was trying to be Saraswati, if I was trying to be Trish, if I was trying to be Zila, this group of people was going to see through it. They were so in their truth from being at this retreat for days that that was not an option. So in my room, I said a prayer that I would show up and just be me, that I would be that channel of love and light, and I would just be completely authentic. And so I went back upstairs, I sat down, maybe the first two minutes I was nervous when I was speaking, and then I just found my zone. I found my strength of being there and leading the room. And the only way I could do this was to stop comparing myself to others, focus on my own strengths and just be me. So if you want to know what your strengths are, there's a test you can take. I'll put the link in the show notes. It is to help you identify your strengths. It's by Gallup. It's the Gallup Strengths Finder test. It's an hour-long assessment with 177 questions. I think there's like a $19 version or like a $50 version, depending on how deep you want to go into it. And then you'll use your personalized report to uh, use those strengths, help you identify those strengths, and then use them in your personal life, relationships, and career. There's an, another way to identify your strengths is to try Jay Shetty's Reflected Best Exercise. 
And this is to choose three or six or nine people you know well, who know you well, and ask them to tell you about a specific time when you were at your best. Then look for common themes to understand your strengths from all of these stories. Try and find a set of people you've worked with, a set of family members, and a set of friends. Try to identify three different themes. Write out your own profile about yourself based on the feedback you receive and focus how you can turn these strengths into action, putting these skills into practice. This is a really fun exercise to do. And the third one, our third way is to study people's pain. Have real conversations. Social media isn't real. When you start looking at the people you look up to, you will see in the ways they didn't have it easy. This can help us recognize that most likely it didn't come easy to them and you can see the hard work that they put into it. So the third way to get out of comparison is to study other people's pain. I had an experience at the reunion. The reunion to me felt like it was everyone's Instagram. It was everyone's highlight reel of the last 20 years. What have you been doing for 20 years? Tell me all the wins. And I don't do small talk. So for me, it was a little hard for me to be in that, let's just talk about the wins moments. But I had one real moment out of all the conversations I had with everyone. I only had one really real moment. And that was with a woman I graduated with from high school. I have not seen her in over 20 years, but I have run into her mom a couple times. And her mom is always asking me about my fertility journey. And her daughter had also struggled with some fertility issues as well. And so when we saw each other for the first time in 20 years, we only talked for maybe three minutes, four minutes, not a long conversation, but we looked at each other and we were able to see each other and see each other's pain and where we had come from. And now she has a beautiful, healthy new baby. And I'm still on my own journey. It was not about comparison. It was just about really seeing the realness, having those hard conversations. And the fourth way to get ourselves out of comparison is to have a mindset of collaboration, not competition. I knew wedding photographers who always acted like they were in competition with one another. That was never the road I took. For me, other wedding photographers were my biggest source of referrals. And now I'm finding my way in the podcasting community with so many people willing to help one another. So collaborate don't compete. Collaboration can lead to so much more than competition can. And the fifth way to get out of comparison is to always be a student. Look for opportunities to learn and grow. Instead of focusing on what they're doing so much better, ask yourself, what can I learn from this individual? Stay curious and look for an opportunity to grow. Ask, why is it working out for them? With wedding photography, you would hear people say, oh, it must be because of their camera. They have the new fanciest camera. They had better equipment. That's what made them a better photographer. I had heard this a long time ago when I was doing a lot of weddings. I heard somebody say, would you go to somebody and say, oh, that cake is so delicious. It must be because of your oven. which is just so ridiculous. Your oven may be a part of it. Your camera, your equipment may be a part of it, but it's only a part of it. So allow yourself to be a student. Allow yourself to lean in, stay curious, and discover what it is you want to learn. 
And the sixth way to get out of comparison is to do something small really well. Do really small things with a big heart. Have an impact, big or small. When you do something with a big heart, it will boost your confidence, which will in turn take you out of comparison. And the seventh and last way is to do something you've been putting off for a while. Clear it out. We keep putting things off and it keeps us in this loop of feeling stuck, feeling like we're failing. Finish it, whatever it is, and your self-worth will go through the roof. And if you need to start small, start small. I don't agree with a ton of things that Dave Ramsey says, but one of the things he says that I absolutely did agree with and helped me start my journey of becoming debt-free was to put all of my debts smallest to biggest. So I think he calls it like the snowball effect. So you put them in order of smallest to biggest. Many financial planners would say it makes more sense to do this based on the actual interest rates. But I loved this, putting it not by interest rate, by actual amount of debt. So if you have, you know, a $500 debt and then you have a credit card with $2,000 and then another one with $7,000, you put it in that order and you pay off the smallest one first. And then you feel this momentum. You feel the wind. You're building the snowball. It's like going down a hill and the snowball gets bigger and bigger. So do something you've been putting off for a while, start in the smallest way you can, and just let the momentum help you keep going because this is going to build your confidence, which will get you out of comparison. In the next few episodes, we're going to look at some of the ways we respond to others when we are comparing our own situations, like admiration and reverence, envy and jealousy, resentment, schadenfreude, and Freud and Freud. This week's homework, you're digging deeper, is I have a couple different options for you. So the first could be try a social media detox. Try what it feels like to be off social media for a week, two weeks, a month even, and just notice how does comparison feel to you. You may not notice how much you're comparing until you actually take yourself out of the environments where you're being inundated with comparisons. So try that. Another thing would be to try that Strength Finder assessment quiz from Gallup or try Jay Shetty's Reflected Best Self exercise. Ask people around you what your strengths are. And to end today, we're going to end with a poem from Donna Ashworth from To the Women, Words to Live By. There comes a day somewhere in the middle of every woman's life When Mother Nature herself stands behind us and wraps her arms around our shoulders, whispering, It's time. You have taken enough now. It's time to stop growing up, stop growing older, and start growing wiser and wilder. There are adventures still waiting on you, and this time, you will enjoy them with the vision of wisdom and the companionship of hindsight, and you will really let go. It's time to stop the madness of comparison and the ridicule of schedule and conformity and start experiencing the joys that a life free of containment and guilt can bring. She will shake your shoulders gently and remind you that you've done your bit. You've given too much. You've cared too much. You've suffered too much. You've bought the book, as it were, and worn the t-shirt. Worse, you've worn the chains and carried the weight of a burden far too heavy for your shoulders. It's time, she will say. Let it go. 
Really let it go and feel the freedom of the fresh, clean spaces within you. Fill them with discovery, love, and laughter. Fill yourself so full you will no longer fear what is ahead, and instead you will greet each day with the excitement of a child. She will remind you that if you choose to stop caring what other people think of you, and instead of caring of what you think of you, that you will experience a new era of your life that you never dreamed possible. It's time, she will say, to write to the ending or new beginning of your own story. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.